Let me invite you to open up God's Word with me, to open up your Bibles with me to New Testament book of Mark, Mark chapter 12. And here in Mark chapter 12, we will read about Jesus, a story, a short story, in which Jesus examined the hearts of those who had come to the temple to worship Him. And as you find your place in Mark chapter 12, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 12, I'll be reading verses 41 through 44. And there God's Word reads this way. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Join me in prayer. Father, we do pray that you would guide us now as we open your word, the words of life. Lord, would you speak to us and lead us and guide us, instruct us. Uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, here is the setting. Jesus is in the temple. He has come to the temple, the place of worship for Jews in the first century. And he is in the court of the women. Men and women could go into the court of the women, but this was as far as women in that day could go into the temple. And so Jesus goes into this court and he sits down where he can see the treasury or the offering box. The court of the women would have been filled with 13 receptacles that were there to collect offerings, 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles and he sits down and he begins to observe those who are bringing their offerings to these receptacles. In doing so, ultimately we know, because he wants to teach his disciples something about worship here. Ultimately he is commending this woman for her faith, for her heartfelt devotion and love of the Lord displayed through this gift. Now in that day, there were no paper checks, there were no electronic fund transfers from bank account to the temple treasury. So what people gave often would be seen, but not only seen, but also heard. Because when your currency is comprised of coins, you would not only see it, but you would hear it. And so Jesus and others who were near would hear the money landing in the receptacles. And by this, Jesus made certain observations and We're told here that many rich people came, verse 41, and they threw in large amounts. In verse 42, but a poor widow. But a poor widow came. And the choice of words here is interesting and no doubt emphasizing something as the choice of words included in Scripture often does because widows in that day had it especially difficult. Often widows were left in poverty without someone to care for them and to provide for them. So in this case, to say that this was a poor widow probably implied that she was the poorest of the poor. She had very little. She did not have much. But what she did have, she put into the offering box. Told that she had 
two small copper coins worth only a few cents. These would have been two lepta, the smallest coin in circulation in first century Israel. And you can see a picture of these lepton, lepton singular, lepta plural. These would have been less than a centimeter in diameter and worth very little. In fact, they were worth, one of these was worth one 128th of a denarius. Heard of a denarius, perhaps from other places in the New Testament. A denarius, one denarius was equal to the average wages for a daily laborer. And so one person who worked for a day likely earned 128 of these things. This poor widow had two. And yet she put them into the treasury. Now here in our culture today, coins aren't worth very much. You know, you, if you have change, you likely put them away in a drawer somewhere and forget about them. Perhaps you put them in a, uh, a cup holder in your car or you, you leave them behind somewhere. You forget that you even have them. But that's not true in, in every culture. In fact, in Europe, they have some coins that are worth a little bit more than our coins. And uh, they uh, recently in Europe, I paid for something with, with euros and received coins in return, as you often do in uh, that culture. And of course, I'm thinking coins. These are not worth much at all, but uh, they have coins that are worth one euro and two euros that are very common, uh, commonly used, and those are worth roughly a dollar, two dollars respectively. We might say, well, that's not much money, but compared to our coins that we use on a regular basis, that is a significant amount of money. And so I'm going in a dash at the airport before we get on the plane to spend up the rest of my change and end up giving too much money, giving more coins than, uh, than I need to to pay for the items that I'm purchasing, thinking that these are, you know, this is spare change. This is not worth anything to me. And, uh, thankfully, the, the cashier was honest and returned uh, the, the portion that I paid in excess. But here, though these coins were very minimal, not worth much, very insignificant in some total as compared to the offering that the wealthy put in to the receptacles. Jesus is here evaluating the heart of these worshipers. He's watching them in order to make evaluation so that he might instruct his followers on what genuine worship of God looks like. And that's a truth for us in all time, that Jesus searches the hearts of those who worship him. Jesus, Son of God, the eternal God in the flesh searches the hearts of those who are worshiping him. How many of you like to people watch? Anybody like to sort of sit back and watch people and try to make observations and uh, conclusions, you know, try to think about what's going on in various scenarios and various people's lives? Well, I'm told that there's some good places to people watch. You can people watch in Walmart. You can people watch in the shopping mall. The airport's a good place. Football games. In fact, uh, I was recently in the airport and uh, a couple of uh, the ladies in our group uh, were looking around and I happened to come up to them and, and they told me, we're people watching. Now, this is a good place to people watch. We watch people in order to, to uh, make conclusions perhaps about them, to think about what's going on in, in their lives. Well, here it seems as if Jesus is people watching. He's gathered in this place. He's gathered in this court to watch people. And he watches. And the difference between Jesus and us is that Jesus' conclusions and his calculations and his observations are always right. He searches the hearts of those who worship him. 
God desires that our hearts, that our desires, that our devotion, that our affections be set upon Him. He desires to have first place in the lives of His people. And not only because He is worthy of first place in our lives, but because putting Him first in our lives is best for us and most satisfying for us as His people. God searches the lives of His people in order to determine whether their worship of Him is Reflective of a heart that is devoted to him. King David in the Old Testament recognized the importance of the heart in in worship. And when he realized the depth, the wickedness, the gravity of his sin against God by committing adultery with Bathsheba and then trying to cover it up by murdering her husband, Uriah. He wrote Psalm 51, a well-known psalm. And in verse 17 of that psalm, he said, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. A broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. In other words, David was saying, God, you're not interested in my, my outward religiosity. You're not interested in my outward ritualistic sacrifices if it's not reflective of a heart that is broken over sin and has its affections on you. The context implies that when that is the case for the people of God and their outward worship of God is most pleasing to God. And every human heart, past, present, future, is either hardened and resistant, remaining hardened to full submission and obedience and devotion to God as a result of rebellion and sin, or every heart has been softened by the grace and the mercy of God and desires to give total devotion and submission and obedience to the Lord. God desires hearts that are fixed on Him. According to the Word of God, according to this story here and Jesus' observations here, what we give to the Lord is a reflection of our hearts before God. For Jesus himself said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the beauty of this passage of Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, and this story of this poor widow is that it communicates to us and teaches us that that far more than, than he is interested in the sum of our offering, God is interested in the sacrifice of the giver. God is far more interested in the sacrifice of the giver, of those who are worshiping him, than he is in the sum total of what is being given to him. After all, everything is his to begin with. We saw in Scripture last week, God doesn't need anything from us, for he has all things, but he desires our worship to be reflective of hearts that have sacrificed for him, given to him for him, out of worship and love for him. So Jesus is sitting here in this portion of the temple observing the offerings. And after seeing the rich people throwing these large amounts and then a poor widow throwing a very small amount in comparison, he tells his disciples in verse 30, 43, he says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. You see, God searches the hearts of those who worship Him and He knows the hearts of those who worship Him. Jesus knows the hearts of those who worship Him. And He says here that 
The sacrifice, the offering that this poor widow gives is worth more to God than the sum total of all those who preceded her. Because they all gave out of their excess and she gave all that she had. When the scripture says here that she gave all that she had, all that she had to to live on, it likely is saying that she gave all that she had to live on for that day. In other words, two lepto, that was her budget for the day. That was what she had for the day to purchase her basic necessities, to purchase her bread or soup or whatever she could afford to sustain her for that day. And out of trust in God and love for God and devotion to God and heart that was set on the worship of God, she, she gave this to God, trusting that He would care for her. Trusting that He would provide for her. Whereas everyone else gave out of their, their excess, gave their spare change, gave what didn't cost them much this woman gave out of her poverty. She gave out of her destitution. She gave abundantly, generously, and sacrificially. She gave sacrificially with all of her heart. Church, does Jesus have your heart? Does Jesus have your heart? Does Jesus have my heart? There's a vast difference between knowing about Jesus up here and knowing who He is and what He's done and what people think of Him and what He said and knowing Him here in your heart. Knowing Him personally. Knowing Him intimately as the One who has rescued you from sin and the penalty of sin and rescued you from death and showered you with the riches of His, His grace. For if you know Jesus in that way, if you know Him personally, intimately, then, then your heart becomes captivated by Him. You long for more and more and more of Him and the things of this world and personal pursuits and ambitions and dreams become less important and begin to be transformed by the things of God and the things that bring glory to God. As you encounter Jesus in this way and give Him your heart, then the words of John the Baptist become your words and my words and people of God's words. He must become greater and I must become less. Does Jesus have your heart? Secondly, ask yourself this morning, are you living sacrificially as a follower of Jesus Christ? As one who knows the God of Scriptures, the one almighty true God. Are you living sacrificially? Are you giving things up, not just monetarily, but are you making sacrifices in your life for the glory of God and the proclamation of His goodness and His, His name? See, there's a transformation that takes place in the hearts and the lives of all those who come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And this is the transformation that Paul knew and he spoke of clearly in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. Of course, Paul wasn't saying that he literally had been crucified on a cross next to Christ. He was saying that my old life, the life ruled by me, a self-centered life has been put to death and I have a new life. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is the picture that we celebrate and we observe when we observe believers' baptism. 
especially believers' baptism by immersion because it's a, it's a picture. It's a picture of what has taken place in the lives of the hearts of those who've come to know Christ, that they've been buried with Christ. Old life has been put behind them. They've been given new life in Christ, raised to walk with a new life that is far better, is far more satisfying, is far more joyous, because it's alive for the glory of Christ. And as you live sacrificially, church, as you begin to live more and more for the glory of Jesus Christ, the Word of God also teaches that you will begin to give sacrificially for the glory of God and the spread of the name of Jesus Christ. Are you living sacrificially? And finally, are you giving sacrificially? It's people of faith. It's people who believe the words of Scripture and follow Jesus as the one who is our Lord and Savior. Are you giving sacrificially? This widow in Mark chapter 12 gave to the extent that it cost her something. She gave sacrificially to the Lord. And the reality, according to the Word of God, is that God desires us to give in a way that costs us something. God desires us to give in a way that costs us something. God is not interested, as we saw last week, in our leftovers. He's not interested in our spare change if it is only change to us. The idea here kind of reminds me of a paycheck. The difference, at least the felt difference, not much difference, but the felt difference in receiving a paycheck that already has everything deducted out of it. Insurance, retirement, other variables, taxes, and a paycheck that you receive a lump total and then you begin to pay all these things out of it. Even though the difference is not much, it feels like a far greater sacrifice to receive a paycheck and then to write a check for these various things because the other way around, you didn't, you didn't ever see it. You didn't feel it. But likewise, on a far grander scale, God desires giving that costs us something. He desires our giving to reflect sacrifices for His name and for His glory because of who He is and what He has done for us. And I dare say that Not many of us, even those who are characterized by great devotion to the Lord and love for His church that display the same type of sacrificial giving as this poor widow here in Mark chapter 12 because as we begin to take the things that we spend on ourselves and our wants and our needs and our houses and our homes and our favorite football teams and vacations and toys and our hobbies and on and on. The amount that we give to the Lord and the work of the Lord becomes lesser and lesser and lesser. But the reality, according to God's word, is that God desires sacrificial giving. The God that we worship, the God that we follow, His word invites us to sacrifice in order to participate in the heartfelt worship and adoration of His name. He desires His people to participate in sacrificial giving for His name and His renown for His for His glory. And the incredible news for us, and don't, don't miss this, is that the one who asks us to participate in sacrificial giving in our worship of Him is the very same one who has been characterized and displayed the greatest level of sacrificial giving ever known to man. When He came to us, lived among us, and ultimately laid down His life for us, not because we deserved it, 
so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be reconciled, so that we might spend eternity in the presence of the King. And there is nothing more satisfying than being reconciled to God and living forever in the presence of God. And just like the masses were not impressed with the two small copper coins of the widow because they didn't understand and recognize the extent of her sacrifice or the motivation of her worship. Many today and throughout history have not been impressed with the cross of Calvary because they have not understood the extent of God's sacrifice and the motivation of laying down His life in our place on our behalf. Church, let's not be Let's not be those who miss the significance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in our place on the cross. Let's not miss the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, that we might know Him, that we might live with Him, that we might be forever restored into a right relationship with Him. Let's be people who live and who love and who give for the glory and the renown of Jesus Christ because God has lived and He has loved And he gave that we might spend eternity in his presence. That we might experience the abundant life both now and forevermore. Father, we thank you that that you love us so much. That though we were in darkness and condemnation as a result of our sin and going our own way, rebelling against you. You loved us so much that you came to us and gave your life for us. And so, Father, we stand with, with Paul in the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. And we say, for we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for our sakes, Father, he became poor. That, that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Father, we thank you for the riches of your grace that have been lavished on us. Father, may we never forget it. May we live lives of devotion to you, of love for you, of singing, telling of your praises. Father, may we glorify you in all that we do. May we, may we give you our hearts. May, you, may we love you, Lord, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. May we live lives of sacrifice that reflect your greatness. And Father, may we as your people give sacrificially in a way that glorifies you. That your name may be renowned, not ours, Father. We love you. We thank you for your church. Father, we thank you for gathering us again together. That we might hear from you. That we might sing your praises. That we might lift your name high. And Father, as we respond now through song, would you be glorified? Would you be praised as we express our devotion to you? And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.